Well, great to see you today, New City Church. We're so glad that you're here. Whether you're joining us on campus or online, we're grateful for, to have each of you here today. We celebrated Next Gen Weekend last weekend. It was Orange Weekend for us, uh, Orange representing the, the love of the family and the light of the church coming together to create this great philosophy to raise up the next generation of Christ followers. So I just wanna say thank you to all of you who participated in Orange Weekend. We baptized a lot of students. We signed up a lot of people to volunteer in Next Gen Ministry. We told some great stories of all that God is doing in the midst of all of our children and student ministries here at New City Church. So we're just so grateful for all the work that God is doing and, and all that he wants to do through our children and our student ministry called Next Gen here at New City. Some of you may not know this, but Barna tells us, uh, who's a statistician, he says that most adult Christians, in fact, 94% of adult Christians make a decision to follow Jesus before the age of 18. So 94% of adult Christians say that they made a decision to follow Jesus Christ before the age of 18. So our prime mission field as a church begins right in our next-gen ministry, right in our children's ministry, our student ministry. And we could sure use your help this coming year ministering and volunteering in those areas. So if you've had an inkling in your heart, if the Holy Spirit is nudging you to get involved here at New City, I would just encourage you to take your pick three card. It's available at every campus today. And make sure you fill that out and turn it in before you leave. It's an opportunity to, to jump in this summer and to volunteer in our children's ministry across all of our campuses. That's also available online. And we would love to have you join us in ministering and being a part of our next-gen ministry here at New City. Again, thanks so much for participating in Orange Day. It was a, a great event, a great time to celebrate all that God's doing. And we'll do it again next year and tell more and more stories of what God is doing in our next-gen ministry. So we've been, as a church, walking through the book of Acts together. And I want to encourage you, if you have a copy of the Scriptures, to take out a copy of the Scriptures. It's also available on our app or online. You can follow along. And we're going to look at Acts chapter 9. We've been walking through uh, the book of Acts in a couple of different sections. And the section that we're in right now, the series we're in right now, is entitled Beyond. And we're looking specifically at Acts chapter 6 through 12. And when we last uh, left off, we were in Acts chapter 9, you'll remember, with the conversion of Saul of Tarsus, a, a major, major turning point in the life of the church. In fact, many historians have said that the conversion of Saul of Tarsus, other than the resurrection of Jesus, was the most important event in human history because it accelerated the gospel and the work of the gospel uh, far beyond Jerusalem and Jews and all throughout the earth. And so let's rejoin the story in Acts chapter 9, post Saul's conversion, this, this major event, and let's pick up in the series there. Acts chapter 9, we're going to begin in verse 31. So the church throughout all of Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, listen to this, it multiplied. There is now more than likely, in the context of this passage in Acts chapter 9, the passage we're looking at today, there, there is now more than likely over a um, hundred different churches. In fact, hundreds of different churches, most likely throughout the region. And yet Luke refers to all of those churches, those hundreds of churches, churches throughout the region, as simply the church. And we learned something here that even though we have different expressions in the church and we have different gatherings throughout the, the world of the church, we are still one church. 
united in Jesus Christ. And that's how Luke refers to us, as simply the church. And the church is being built up because the conversion of the church's prime prosecutor or persecutor, if you will, Saul of Tarsus has now been, been brought to Jesus and he stopped his persecution. And so now the church enjoys this season of peace and it's being built up and it's being edified, but the church doesn't get complacent in that season of peace, no. Rather, it walks, look at the passage again, Acts chapter nine, verse 31. It walks in the fear of the Lord, number one, which is simply devotion and reverence to God. And by the way, if you struggle with fear of other people or fear of circumstances, there's only one thing that drives out fear and it's perfect love. When you understand how much God loves you and what God has done for you and how, how big God is and who he really is in his character, when you fear him, which means you're devoted to him, you have reverence for him, you won't fear anyone else. And so out of their fear for the Lord, they don't fear anybody else. And then secondly, the, the, um, the scripture says that they walked in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. So the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, and out of that place, they, they, were, they, they were built up and they multiplied. Luke simply says that out of walking in those two ways distinctly, they multiplied. They're not adding anymore, they're multiplying. God's doing an incredible work as they live out the gospel through the fear of the Lord, the devotion and reverence to God, but also knowing that the Holy Spirit, that he is the great comforter. And in the midst of a world that's constantly changing, in the midst of a world where there's hurt and pain and struggle for all of us, even today, the Holy Spirit, part of what the Holy Spirit does for us is he comforts us. And he reminds us of the presence of God with us always, indwelling us even, empowering us even today. So what a great blessing for, for us as a church. Not only the church, capital C across the world, but for us church, for New City Church, that may we walk, may we, may we walk in the fear of the Lord, right, number one, and may we also walk in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And out of the fear of the Lord, our devotion to God and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, may we be built up. And may God multiply the work of the gospel in us and through us to our city and to the world. Now the focus of Acts shifts back from Saul to Peter. We see Peter taking the gospel witness beyond the theme of our whole series. And he does so specifically to the Gentiles. And if you'll look with me in verses 32 through 43, we're going to read a couple of very important stories about how Peter begins to witness beyond Jerusalem and for, former Jews to Gentiles and to, to places outside of Jerusalem. We simply read this entry in verse 32, Acts chapter 9, that Peter went here and there. Look at it with me. Peter went here and there among them all. And we've said before that all means all, and that's what? That's all all means. Peter went to all the churches, all the different places and expressions of the church. Again, probably hundreds across the region, and he's encouraging them. He's teaching, and he's preaching, and he's helping uh, to build them up and edify them and disciple them. And then the scripture says specifically here that Peter, or Peter begins to go beyond into different places uh, beyond Jerusalem and, and Judea into Gentile regions. And specifically here, he goes to a place in verses 32 through 35 called Lydda. And there he meets a man named Ananias, who's been bedridden for eight years. He's been unable to leave his bed paralyzed for eight years. And he simply says to Ananias uh, that Jesus Christ heals you. Look at verse 34 with me, Acts chapter 9. Ananias, Jesus Christ heals you. And this is such an important word for us really quickly, and I'll continue the story. That Peter recognizes that it's not himself that's bringing the power and healing. 
Uh, he says to Ananias, it's Jesus Christ and Jesus alone that heals you. It's, it's the beggar that, that, that uh, Peter and John uh, cross paths with in, with in the temple in Acts chapter 3 where he says, rise and walk. You know, he says that what I have I give to you, which is not silver and gold. What I have is Jesus. And he recognizes that it's only God that he has to give to other people. And by the way, friends, it's only God that we have to offer our neighbors, our children, our relatives, our coworkers, those who are, are sick and in need of God spiritually or physically. It's only the power of Jesus Christ that we have to offer to them. And he says in verse 34, I want you now, Ananias, I want you to rise and I want you to make your bed. In other words, you're not going to need it anymore. You don't have to lay here anymore because Jesus has healed you, which by the way, just, just really quickly, for, for those of you with teenage sons like me, um, this is a great little memory verse for them, Acts chapter nine, verse 34, rise and make your bed. You could just make a plaque of that and put it right in their room so they can be reminded every single day that this is what, this is what God's word says, to rise and to make your bed. We, we need that for our teenagers. And then out of that, there's this great demonstration, right, this healing that leads to great belief. And this is a great principle and application for us that the demonstration to one, Ananias, leads to belief for many, Demonstration to one, this powerful miracle, this demonstration of the power of God leads to belief for many people. In other words, they see the demonstration of God's power, the miracle story. That's why it's so important for us to tell our stories. It's why it's so important to capture these only God stories in our lives, which every story is a miracle of the work of God, and to be faithful to share it because out of that demonstration to one, namely you, comes the belief of many. And that's what happens in Lydda. And then we go to Joppa. Look at the next story, verses 36 through 43. Again, Peter witnessing beyond, taking the gospel beyond to other areas, namely to the Gentiles. He goes to a, a city called Joppa. And bonus question here really quickly. Does anyone remember the last time we read about the city of Joppa? In the Old Testament, we read about Joppa and Jonah. Jonah chapter one, verse three. Jonah goes down to Joppa to escape from a call to the Ninevites. So he goes to Joppa, he buys a ticket to Tarshish. Tarshish was the, the furthest place on the planet that was known. It was, it was literally the end of the earth. Jonah runs away to the end of the earth to, to run away from the call of God in his life. And who was God calling Jonah to? This is so amazing. God was calling Jonah to Gentiles to non-Jews, to minister to them. Who is God calling Peter now to go minister to? To Gentiles. So we're back in the same town. It's not Jonah this time. Now it's Peter, and Peter's gonna listen to God and be faithful to go beyond and bring the gospel of Jesus to non-Jews, to Gentiles. That's incredible. I love God's word and how that happens. And specifically, there's a, a woman named Tabitha in the city of Joppa, and she's died. She was beloved by many. She was a woman of charity who did a lot of good in that town, in that city, and people are grieving her loss. And Peter clears out the room. You can go read the story for yourself, and he prays over her dead body, and she's resurrected. That's the word that's used in the Greek, the same word that's used for Jesus. There's a resurrection. And Peter brings her out of the room and presents her. Look at the scripture, verse 41, Acts 9 presents her alive to the other people. And this is such a picture, don't you see, of the gospel and what Jesus does for us. We were dead in our trespasses and now we're alive in Christ. So Peter presents her alive to all the people. And again, look at verse 42. 
many people believed in the Lord. The demonstration to one, the only God story that happened in one is, is affected uh, or, or is given to other people. Other people are affected by it. It's multiplied to other people, to the many, to the masses in verse 42. And then finally here, Peter uh, witnesses beyond in this way. In the city of Joppa, he meets another Simon. Remember, Peter's name was Simon too. So he meets another Simon, and this is Simon the Tanner. And we read about him in, uh, really quickly in verse 43. And it's important that Luke identifies him as a tanner because tanners were outcast of the society. Tanners were outcast of the culture. So not only is he a, a Gentile, but he's also uh, an outcast because of his profession. He was considered unclean. Why? Because he handled the, the dead carcasses of animals. And so as he's tanning the hides of those animals, he's becoming ceremonially unclean. So he's not allowed to come in Jerusalem or worship in the temple. And he's also a, a Gentile. So that's a, a double strike a, a, against him. And not only that, just practically speaking, tanners were outcast of the culture and society, not only because they were spiritually unclean, but also, also even among the Gentile culture, people didn't want to be around him because it what? It smelled. His profession was smelly. I mean, think about it. It's a bunch of dead animals. And he's tanning their skins. It was, it was a smelly job. And so people didn't want to be around him. And who, this is so significant. And thinking about our witness beyond, to beyond people that we recognize or that, that, that we're familiar with or culturally that we jive with, but going beyond our comfort zone to other people, to all people, Peter specifically stays at Simon's house. For many days, he stays there. And he ministers to him, and, and, and no doubt he tells him about Jesus. I think it's so significant that out of all the people in Joppa that, that Peter could have stayed with, he chooses the tanner, the outcast, the lowliest, the smelliest. And if you want to bring the gospel to other people, if you want to go to, to, to dark places and to people who don't know Jesus and, and go, to, go to the places that need Jesus the most, guys, sometimes it's going to be smelly. And sometimes you're going to get that smell on you. And if you really want to minister to people and take the gospel beyond and get serious about that, what's happening here in Acts chapter 9, we're going to have to get some of that smell on us. And Peter demonstrates that so beautifully for us. And now comes the, the longest single narrative in the book of Acts. Let's just take a breath together. It's 66 verses. It starts in Acts chapter 10 and goes all the way through Acts chapter 11, verse 18. So let's just read it together. I'm kidding. We're not going to read all of it together. You, I want you to go and read it for yourself. Study it this week and read this passage for yourself. But let me just storytell it because it's so important, again, in thinking about going beyond. And it's such a, a powerful demonstration of the gospel breaking through boundaries, specifically to the Gentiles, to non-Jews, and the, and, and the power of Jesus being known by all people. So the story uh, starts with a man named Cornelius. And of course, it also involves Peter, our main character now. And Cornelius was a Roman centurion. Again, you can read about this in Acts chapter 10 and follow along. A centurion was a Roman soldier and he had command over 100 men. So that's where we get our word century from, 100. Uh, a centurion was over 100 men. And a centurion also was a part of a cohort. A cohort was about 600 men and then cohorts made up legions. And that was kind of how the Roman army was, was organized. And so centurions were affluent. He was probably very well known. He lived in a place called Caesarea, which was about 30 miles north of Joppa. If you want to kind of think about it in your mind's eye of where Peter was in Joppa by the sea. And now he goes up to Caesarea, or he's about to go to Caesarea, about 30 miles north. That's where Cornelius lived. 
And again, he's very well known. He's probably affluent. And he's a God-fearer, the scripture says. Look at, look at chapter 10 in the story. Meaning that he probably is worshiping the God of the Israelites. He's seeking to understand who God is. But he hasn't yet known about Jesus. And God gives a vision to Cornelius. And God gives a vision to Peter. So Cornelius is in Caesarea. And Peter is in Joppa, about 30 miles apart. And God, through the Holy Spirit, speaks to both of them. And he starts with Cornelius. He gives him a vision, and he says, I want you to send some men, and I want you to go down to the city of Joppa, and I want you to look for a man named Simon, and you tell him that he needs to come up here, and he needs to speak to, to you and your household. So Cornelius sends a group of people to go down to Joppa and find Simon and bring him back to Caesarea. And, and the next day, the Bible says here in the passage that God spoke to Peter, the other side of the equation, and he gives Peter a vision. And the vision that he gives Peter is a vision of beyond, of taking the gospel beyond what was known and what was considered clean to all people. And he does so in a really interesting way. Again, you can go and read the story for yourself. But he shows Peter a vision as Peter is praying, which, by the way, a lot of times God longs to speak to us when we're in a posture and a position of prayer. So if you're looking for God to speak to her, you want God to give you a vision, a fresh understanding of what he's doing, make sure you're regularly in prayer. The Bible says to pray without ceasing, to be in a posture of submission and obedience and willingness to hear from God. It's out of that posture of willingness to receive from God that God gives Peter this fresh vision. And it's an interesting vision. It's a sheet, you'll remember, coming out of heaven with four corners. And on the sheet are all kinds of animals. There's birds and reptiles and animals of every kind. And, and God says this to, to Peter. This is like, I guess if you're a hunter, this would be your, like your life verse. He says to Peter, rise, kill, and eat. Rise, kill, and eat. And you say, what in the world does that have anything to do with Gentiles and the gospel and Jesus and going beyond our comfort zone? Because what God was trying to say to Peter was, what you have considered unclean, remember the dietary restrictions of the Jews. They could only eat certain types of animals, and they were very strict about that and religious about that. Uh, now God is saying that everything's on the table. Everything is good. Everything is considered clean. Everything is in bounds. And this is a, an interesting vision, but it was the way that God was telling Peter that now I want to take the gospel beyond to the Gentiles. And Peter's response is what? Do you remember? Never. Have you ever said that to God? How's that work? Never. God doesn't take never for an answer. He comes to Peter a second time. The vision comes to him again. And then guess what? Read the passage. A third time, God gives him the vision. And whenever we see three in the scriptures, it's a sign of completion, just like the number seven. So when God says something three times, like Isaiah says, holy, 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 it's for emphasis. So God gives this vision three times. He's foot stomping this. No, Peter, I'm serious. This is what I want to do, and I want to do it through you. Don't you, don't you know that God was thinking, don't be Jonah, Peter. Don't be Jonah. Don't, don't refuse to go to the people that I'm calling you to go to. And so Peter uh, submits. He, he, he listens to the vision. He's willing to hear from God. When God says, what I've made clean, don't call common, verse 15, chapter 10. And he says, okay, I understand it. I, I, I'm willing to go. And so he, he, he goes with this group of people that have come with him from Cornelius' house, and they go up to Caesarea. And here's the interesting thing, just really quick before we jump into the rest of the story. Before God had spoken to Peter, the group from Caesarea was already on their way to get him. 
So as God is speaking to you sometimes and giving you a vision, the answer is already on its way. They're already walking to you. Sometimes the answer is already on its way in your life and God is waiting for you to open up your hands and say yes. And when we read about this in Acts chapter 10, as soon as Peter opens up his hands and says, yes, I understand, I'm willing to go, the, the, the people, the group from Cornelius call out to him, Simon, does anybody know a Simon? And he raises his hand and says, I'm Simon, I'm Peter, I'll come with you. So he goes with them to Caesarea and the Bible says that when they're there, they, that, that, that Cornelius falls down on his knees and begins to worship Peter. And Peter says, stand up, I'm just a man. Again, Peter has learned that he's nothing, that it's only the power of God in and through him. And we have to learn that too through humility. He, he pulls him back on his feet and says, I'm just a man just like you. But he says, I wonder why you've called me here. And Cornelius says, well, I had a vision. And Peter says, I had a vision too. And Cornelius says, I had a vision that you would come here and tell us the truth about God. And so Peter begins, look, look, look at the scriptures. Peter begins to preach. He opens his mouth, verse 34, Acts chapter 10, and he begins to, to preach. And he says, listen to these words. Truly I understand, verse 34, that God shows no partiality. Can I just stop there really quickly? We have to guard our hearts as Christians, as followers of Jesus. We have to really guard our hearts against showing partiality towards different types of people. We live in a world that likes to categorize people in all kinds of different ways. We categorize by their, the amount of money they have. We categorize where they were born. We categorize where you live. We categorize by the color of your skin. We categorize by the type of hair you have. We, ha we categorize by your friends, by your profession. We categorize people in all, by the way you vote, by your sports teams, all kinds of different ways. And we have to be very, very careful to understand that God shows no partiality. That in Christ, we are all new creations. And because we were created in the image of God, that all of us carry dignity. Now, we carry depravity too. We're broken people. We need Jesus. And it's by grace through faith alone that we're saved. But because we're created in the image of God, every single man, woman, and child on the planet, born and unborn, carry the dignity and the fingerprint of God. And we need to treat them as such. I remember being a couple of years ago in Kigali, Rwanda, and visiting the genocide uh, museum memorial there. It's the story of what happened there in 1994 over a, a hundred day period where Hutus and Tutsis battled with one another and the Hutus killed almost one million Tutsis in 1994 in 100 days. Think about that. Think about it. I, I asked some Rwandans there, well, I know there were cultural differences and there were political differences, but physically, you're all Rwandans, how did people know the difference between Hutus and Tutsis, these two different tribes? And you know what they said? The bridges of their noses. That was the distinction. We will find ways to categorize people to feel superior over people. Don't forget that the bloodiest conflict that we had in the United States was against one another. We will find ways to categorize. And through the gospel of Jesus, we have to echo what Peter says here in verse 34, that truly God shows no partiality. He shows no partiality in our need for him. Without grace, we're not gonna make it. But also he shows part, no partiality in the dignity that we all carry because we were all made in his image. So back to the story, Peter begins to preach and when he preaches, God shows up 
and the Holy Spirit falls on that place. Look at verse 44. While Peter was preaching, while he was saying these things, reminding them of Jesus, telling them about the gospel, the Holy Spirit falls on this place when they heard the word. The Holy Spirit longs, longs to work through the reading, through the preaching of God's word. As we share our stories, as we share God's word, the Holy Spirit longs to enter into those conversations, into those sacred spaces, and do a work in people's lives. So this is just an only God story as they receive the word of God. And Peter says they need to be baptized and they need to be welcomed into the church, to the family of God. The gospel has come to the Gentiles and Peter sees it. He's obedient. He goes beyond and he brings it to them. Now the last part of the story. The last part of the story is in Acts chapter 11. And it's Acts chapter 11, verses 1 through 18. Again, I'm not going to read it all, but I want to tell you the story because if I didn't tell this part of the story, we would miss something. The gospel has gone beyond to the Gentiles. We've seen Gentiles now embraced with Jews as one, no partiality in Christ. And Peter, it says in Acts chapter 11, now goes back to Jerusalem, the epicenter of Christianity, back to the early believers. And he begins to tell them what happened. He reports to them all that God has begun to do beyond to the Gentiles. Now, you would think as, as Peter goes back up to Jerusalem to report to the church, to all of them, how God has now included the Gentiles and the promise of the gospel, you would think that Peter and that news would be what? That it would be celebrated. That God's, God's now expanding. That the very witness that he told us to have at the, in the beginning of Acts, his ascension, that you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. You would think that now that it's happening, that it would be celebrated. But look at verse 2, Acts chapter 11. As Peter reports this news, the gospel going beyond, he's what? He's not celebrated. He's criticized. The, the, the Bible says here that he's criticized. And he's criticized specifically by whom? The circumcision party. These were, these were former Pharisees, former Pharisaic Jews, strict religious Jews, who are now unwilling to accept the Gentiles. By the way, uh, the circumcision party, they need, a, they need a branding firm. I think we would all agree with that. Like, you gotta come up with a better name than that. But this group of people, these religious strict people, right? They're, they're, a, they're an element in the church. They're, they're, they're just as much a part of the church as the Gentiles are. The Gentiles are just as much part of the church as they are. But they are showing partiality. They think that they're superior. They think that they're better because of their dietary restrictions, because of their religiosity, because of the way that they've chosen to live, because of their ethnicity, because they're just better. And again, we have to be very careful of this in the church that we don't do this to other people. Peter is criticized. Think about this, guys. Peter is criticized for sharing Jesus with other people. If we ever get to the point where we're critical about Jesus being proclaimed, about the word of God being preached, we're in trouble. And it brings us to a really good principle, which is very important for us to hear today as we finish the passage. It's hard to get religiosity out of your heart. It's very difficult to get religiosity, to get moralism out of your heart. If you've been used to proving your work to God through your works, through your moral behavior, through your religiosity, that is very difficult to get out of your heart. Why do you think it is that Jesus hung out with sinners, with, with people who were, were there overtly uh, living in sin and living all kinds of different ways, and he spent time with them because they knew their need for God. And the people that Jesus struggled with the most were whom? 
religious people. They missed Jesus. They didn't get Jesus. Why? Chiefly why. There's probably a lot of reasons. But what do you think is the number one reason why they missed Jesus? They didn't think they needed Jesus. And if we're not careful, we can be the same. And even for those of us who are Christ followers, because these are Christ followers. These are people who have made a commitment to Jesus, and they're still showing partiality and discrimination against other people. They still have that moralism and that religiosity in their heart. And here's how you get rid of moralism. Here's how you get rid of religiosity. Here's how you, you, you get rid of thinking that you can do it on your own and, and by your works that you can be saved and be proven worthy. You remember the gospel. There's only one way for you to get rid of religiosity and moralism in your life today, and that is to preach the gospel of Jesus to your own heart today, to remember how God met you, to remember how God saved you, and that's exactly what Peter does. He begins to explain to them, look at those verses three and following. He begins to explain to them in an orderly fashion what God has done, and this is so beautiful. And we have to do this with one another. We have to, as Christians, remind one another of the beauty of the gospel and what God has done for us. And let me just finish today by reading the last part of this passage from Acts chapter 11, verses 15 through 18. And again, if you have your scriptures, follow along with me because as Peter begins to report and give an orderly explanation of how God has gone beyond to the Gentiles and this new work that God wants to do, this is how he finishes. He says, as I began to speak, he's recounting the story from Acts 10 with the household of Cornelius. He says, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. In other words, God did for them exactly what he did for us. Again, preaching the gospel to yourself, remembering. And he says, verse 16, and I remembered, this is so powerful, guys. I remembered the word of the Lord. I remembered what God said, which is so important for us. And how John baptized with water, but you, he said, uh, the Lord said, you will be baptized by the Holy Spirit. And then verse 17, then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, God did for them. He's repeating again in verse 15, uh, exactly what he's saying here in verse 17. God did for them what he did for us. He's reminding them about the gospel and what Jesus has done for them. And then he says this. He says, who was I that I could stand in God's way? Verse 17. Just underline that. If you're following along your, your text, underline that. If you're looking on your phone, just highlight it. Who was I that I could stand in God's way? Who was I that I could be a door that would shut to the gospel to other people? Who was I that I could stand in the way of what God wanted to do in the lives of other people, in the life of our city, in the life of the world? Who, who was I that I could stand in the way? What a great word for us. And he finishes by saying, when they heard these things, Luke is recounting this, when they heard Peter say these things, they fell silent. They stopped criticizing and they fell silent. And they did what? They glorified God saying this. We'll finish here. Then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. To the Gentiles also, to non-Jews, to people who are different from us, to all people, God has granted repentance that is change in Jesus that leads to what? That leads to life. There's only one thing in this life that will never get old, and that is our new life in Jesus. And now we all have access to it through Jesus Christ. All Jews, all Gentiles had the same access to this life in Christ. The door has been opened beyond. The door has been kicked wide open to all people. And I want to finish here because 
you'll remember that that Jesus said to Peter in Matthew chapter 16, verse 19, he says, first of all, in verse 18, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell aren't going to stand against it. But then in verse 19, he says this to Peter. He says, I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Do you remember that? Peter, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And in this passage today, we see that Peter has now become the great door opener for Jesus. And God's calling each of us to be door openers in the name of Jesus to open doors in our family, in our neighborhood, in our city, in our church, in our world for Jesus to walk through. It's not our work. It's only God can work. It's only Jesus. But we open the door. Think about this. Peter opens up the door for the Jews in in Acts chapter 2. He opens up the door for the Samaritans in Acts chapter 8. And now he's opening up the door for all people, the Gentiles, in Acts chapter 10. He has become the great door opener in the early church. And may we now become door openers for Jesus as well. That's the bottom line today is who is God asking you to be a door opener for? Who in your life is God asking you to be a door opener for, to make a way for him, to open the door for the new life of Jesus, the gospel to come to each of those people in your life that God's asking you to make an entrance, to open the door for? I don't know what that looks like for you. This week, it might be a conversation. It might be an act of of goodness and kindness or blessing that you can give to someone. It might be sharing the word of God directly, reading something to someone, sending them a passage of scripture, sharing a sermon with them. Who can you open the door for the gospel to? How is God asking you to do that? Here's how it starts, okay? Final thing. Here's how it starts. Here's how you can become a door opener for Jesus. By reminding yourself of the people that opened the door for you and ultimately how Jesus opened the door and made a way for each of you. How he opened the door for you to have new life and how he wants you now. He longs for you now. It's the purpose of your life to bring him glory and to share his goodness and purpose now with other people by opening the door. We're gonna celebrate communion across all of our campuses today at New City. And I wanna encourage you as you come forward as Christ followers to receive this table that's meant to be a reminder of God's grace and of the gospel that you would be reminded of how Jesus opened the door for you and that it would be an encouragement this week for you to go and open the door for others. To God be the glory today. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for your word and thank you today for Jesus. Thank you that Jesus opened the door, that he made a way for each of us to know you and to love you and to now live a life for you. I wanna pray just simply two things for each of us today, that you would give us the wisdom to know what you're speaking to us today, that you would give us the wisdom to know that collectively as a church, but also individually. Give us wisdom to know what you're asking and speaking to us today. And then give us courage, give us faith to take the step and to obey. And I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.